available tonight, come on back. I want to invite you back to at 6 o'clock. And uh, they'll be doing a lot more uh, songs and, and specials for us. And then uh, Richard Trushan will be preaching. I did want to make mention of one announcement that Richard mentioned. Uh, the Senior Saints Summer Social, the Saints Alive event coming up on August 3rd. Uh, it's for all senior saints. It'll be a catered uh, luncheon right here at church, uh, an encouraging devotional, some fellowship. The sign-up sheet is in the lobby back there. I just wanted to make mention of that and uh, make sure that uh, if you have any questions about it, you can come and see myself. You can come and see me about that. And uh, we're looking for a good turnout and um, a nice time uh, together for our senior saints. So just putting that out there. Uh, we are continuing through the Gospel of Mark. So open your Bibles up to Mark chapter 4, and we'll pick up where we left off um, last week as we move in and continue on with this uh, parable that Jesus taught, uh, the parable of the seed and the soils, the sower also. Uh, often we call it the power parable of the sower, um, and there is a sower, obviously, in the parable, but he really focuses on the seed, and then he jumps to the soil, and that's where he spends uh, the majority of his time uh, teaching about these four different types of soil. Before we go any further, let's just pause to pray and ask the Lord to bless our time. Father, thank you so much, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the truth in it, and I thank you, Lord, for uh, bringing us here today safely. I thank you for the great morning we've had in worship and um, for Proclaim being here and the ministry to our hearts that they have been. Uh, thank you, Lord, for this parable. Help us now as we open the word together and study it deeper that it would uh, be something that uh, begins to work in our hearts and, and works in the soil uh, of our hearts, Lord, to transform us to be more like Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're in Mark chapter four. Um, I'm just gonna quickly review uh, through what we talked about last time. Uh, was there a question? I was just gonna ask if you, in the previous lesson, had addressed either verses 36 or 37, or something like that, um, of the parable. Yeah, um, actually, we're gonna get to the... Um, kind of the system or the understanding of parables in a, in a future, because we're going to get to that part in the middle of this where Jesus pauses and gives his reason for teaching in parables. Uh, we did talk a little bit about um, some of Jesus' uh, purpose in parables. Parables both uh, conceal truth and reveal truth. And so uh, he's looking for those that have ears to hear um, so that they will pursue the truth that he's trying to teach through the parable. So we talked about verses 1 and 2, the, the setting. So we found ourselves seated along the shores of Galilee with a throng of possibly thousands of people gathered to hear him, listening to Jesus who was seated in a small boat floating out there um, on the water of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, then we looked at the sower, and we found that in the immediate context, Jesus Christ is the sower. Yes, by application, we are all sowers, as the message this morning so aptly fits with that. Uh, we are his ambassadors. We are to be sowing the seed. Yet, uh, I believe Jesus was focusing and trying to teach the disciples and the people gathered there about himself. He was the sower going out uh, sowing, and then we talked about the seed, which he interprets, of course, for the disciples, and he tells them that the seed is the word. It's the very word of God, which brings his teaching, including the teaching of his parables, up to the same level that the Torah was and, and the prophets and the Psalms and the entire Old Testament, which is all the, the Bible that they had at this time, they believed it was inspired, which it is, and it's God's authoritative word. And G Jesus is saying, I'm spreading 
more of God's authoritative word. So everything I'm teaching is at the same authoritative level and power um, as the Old Testament that you've been reading. And I, we talked about how the seeds also themselves are kind of a mini example of a parable. Remember, a parable is to lay two, two things alongside. One, a, a physical, everyday t- type of explanation or, or thing, and then the other side being the spiritual truth that the, the physical represents. And if you think about a seed, it has an outer husk, it has an outer shell that encapsulates a spiritual truth. And so the seeds themselves are really kind of pictures of parables um, because the, the whole life of the plant is found inside the seed. And so Jesus is teaching this way uh, to encourage and to draw people in to his teaching. And remember, it's the disciples that come to him and say, explain to us this parable. That's what Jesus wanted everybody to do. He said he started this parable with the command to listen, listen, and he ends the parable, uh, kind of book ends with these two commands, listen and hear. Let him who has ears to hear, hear. And so he was looking for people that wanted to know um, more about what he was teaching. Well, then we, t- we looked at the soils, again, where Jesus spends most of his time, and we looked at the first two soils last week, the wayside soil and the stony soil. And so, of course, the wayside soil, that beaten path around the field, the, the seed was not able to penetrate, and the birds come by and they swoop down and, and snatch that seed away before it can, it can uh, penetrate the soil and germinate and become a plant. And we looked at the stony soil, which is really shallow, shallow soil. Yes, there was new life. The plant sprung up, but it couldn't get its root very deep. And so when the sun came out and we looked at the tribulations and persecution or the kind of the stones there underneath the surface of the soil. Um, And so we asked ourselves throughout this whole um, study, really the soils represent our hearts. So as we talked about this, we... um, question this and we challenge ourselves with this question what kind of heart or really mind the heart mind concept that's being taught here do I have how do I respond to the seed when the seed of scripture is sown in my heart what is my response to it and so which soil do I most readily identify with So this morning, we are going to go to the thorny soil, and actually, we're going to spend our entire time just talking about this one one type of soil, uh, because Jesus, in his explanation, really expands this and um, helps us see uh, what we need to see about, especially as Christians, uh, the thorns that can crop up in our lives. So in the parable, in verse 7, it says this, Mark 4, verse 7, and some seed fell among thorns. And the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. So this is Jesus' uh, parable. We'll get to the explanation in a moment. But notice that this time, the soil is not hard, like the wayside soil. The seed is able to penetrate. It's also not shallow soil, like the stony ground, because it's able to get a root down. It's able to get a plant up, and it's beginning to grow. There's new life there. But that life has some competition in the field. There are other plants vying for the soil's nutrients that are reaching up and and covering that plant, covering it from the the needed sunlight that it needs to grow. 
And so the good plants are growing, but they're in this process of being choked. They're in this process of being smothered um, by the thorns and thistles that grow in the land of Israel, and that was the visual. So all these people are sitting there listening, and we can picture thorns and thistles that grow in Wisconsin or whatever state, Texas, and I don't remember, Michigan uh, grow, but these people would have immediately been, been able to picture their local uh, plants and the thistles and things. Let's look back for a moment and just talk about why are there thorns and thistles? Why are there thorns and thistles in this world? I'm sure most of you can answer the question. But in Genesis 3.18, God is speaking. And what is God proclaiming over creation? Anybody know out of this passage? Yeah, the curse, right? He's letting Adam and Eve know this is the result of sin. This is what's going to happen. Um, He's talking about the ground and how um, the, the workload will increase exponentially. And he says, both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. Um, Throughout scripture, thorns and thistles and briars are used as imagery to help us understand uh, what we need to avoid. These are always negative in scripture. Um, The prophets use use them. In Isaiah, um, he's prophesying about the coming Assyrian invasion, invasion, And notice his use of the same language in Isaiah 7, verse 23. It shall happen in that day that wherever there could be a thousand vines worth, a thousand shekels of silver, it will be for briars and thorns. With arrows and bows, men will come there because all the land will become briars and thorns. And to any hill which could be dug with the hoe, you will not go there for fear of briars and thorns and thorns, but it will become a range for oxen and a place for sheep to roam. It will become a wasteland filled with briars and thorns. And so Isaiah is speaking this imagery similar to the imagery that Christ is using um, in his his parable. Um, God also spoke to the prophet Jeremiah, and I don't have the verse up here, um, but basically Jeremiah says, and if you want to know the passage, I just, it didn't make it into the... um, presentation so I don't even have it in my notes but Jeremiah says at one point don't sow on the thorny ground so I'm sure as the the people were sitting there especially those that have been studying were listening to Jesus tell this parable I'm sure some of these passages uh, were coming to mind as they thought about the thorns and uh, the relationship to our hearts if we jump to verse 18 we get Jesus explanation Uh, For this, he says, Now these are the ones sown among the thorns. They are the ones who hear the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. So Jesus gives us these three thorns, and that's what we're going to spend our rest of our time looking at these three thorns that choke the word. These People hear the word, and I believe, I believe it's implied that they believe because there's new life. There's a plant that grows up. Something new is happening here. Um, but these three types of thorns come in, and they choke the word. They smother it. And so we have the thorn of cares, which are anxieties. We have the thorn of deceitful riches and the thorns of the desires for other things. So let's look at each one of these. First of all, the thorn of anxiety. The thorn of anxiety. 
And um, this word means care, so that's how it's translated there in the translation on the screen uh, in the previous verse. It can mean anxiety. That's the literal interpretation is the word anxiety. It can mean concern or worry. So I don't need to show a hands because every hand's going to go up. Have you experienced anxiety? Every single person in here can say that they've experienced anxiety at some level, at some point in their life. Um, and so as we think about that, then we, if we've experienced anxiety, we've experienced the cares of this world as Jesus uh, spoke about it. Um, this encyclopedia defines anxiety for us. Anxiety is a subspecies of fear. Uh, the word refers to a general feeling of tension and concern that something fearful may happen. It's not a fear about what is happening necessarily, but it seems to be a fear of the unknown, a fear of uh, some future unknown event. Uh, in a different passage, Jesus also spoke to this. He said in Luke twenty-one thirty-four, but take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing drunkenness. Notice what he lists there, the cares of this life. It's the same word the anxieties of this life, that that day come on you unexpectedly. And so he's, this is a prophetic passage, which we won't, won't get into today, but we're just going to look at, at the wording. This verse is very familiar to us if you've been coming to church, if you've been reading your Bibles for any time. First uh, Peter 5, 7 says, Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. How many have that verse memorized? Oh, yeah, tons of us. I have seen this verse on T-shirts. I have seen this verse on coffee mugs, on bumper stickers. It is one of the most well-known verses in Scripture. Um, but this verse by itself, and it is a great verse. I'm not saying any of that's wrong to do that, to print verses and do verse art and different things. It's wonderful. Um, but there is actually a greater context that I want to point out in this passage because this is kind of the tail end of the instruction that Peter's giving in 1 Peter 5. He actually lays out a list of things and gives us a theme that leads to us being able to cast um, our care upon Christ because we don't want the thorn of anxiety in our lives. We don't want that in our hearts. So like a good gardener, we need to tend to the soil of our heart and remove that thorn. And I believe that 1 Peter 5 gives us an excellent um, method, if you will, a strategy for doing it. So let's turn there. I don't have the verses on the screen. So would you turn with me to 1 Peter 5? Um, and we're going to start actually in verse number 5. So 1 Peter chapter 5, verse number 5. I'll give you a moment to get there. 1 Peter 5, we're going to start at verse number 5. Listen for the theme of verses 5 and 6, so that you know how this flows into verse 7. 1 Peter 5, starting at verse 5, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Verse 6, therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. Did you notice the commands that led up to being able to cast your cares on the Lord? There's several there. 
So, and it kind of a, these bullet points, submit yourselves to your elders, a command to those that are younger in the first part of verse five. Be submissive to one another. That's for, I think, everybody. The end of verse five, be clothed with humility. And then in verse six, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. And I skipped the quote out of the Old Testament where he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the what? The humble. So we have this list, these, this list of commands um, from Peter, of course, under the inspiration of the Spirit, saying, submit yourselves, be submissive, be clothed with humility, humble yourselves, and then casting all your cares. So it seems like in order to cast our care, we have to follow these other commands. Um, we cannot very easily remove the thorn of anxiety from the soil of our hearts as long as we allow pride to be our gardeners. The primary command is to humble ourselves, remove pride, so that we can freely cast our cares on him. Think about pride and what it, what it does in our hearts. What does pride say? Does it say cast your care on someone else? No, it says I, I'm strong enough. I can do this myself. I can, um, I can take care of myself. I can deal with my anxiety myself. I'm self-sufficient. I don't need anyone's help. The problem with that mindset, and it's a lie that pride tells us that you can handle it. That's actually not true. None of us were designed to carry our anxieties. You were not designed to carry the anxieties of your heart. You just weren't designed to do it. It's like trying to put... Uh, you know, a ton of weight into like a little red wagon and, and expect it to hold it. That's, we, we are frail and, and, and weak and uh, we're not designed to bear the load of our anxieties. Now, I know that there are those that struggle with anxiety that have turned to um, medications and other therapies and I'm not saying, I'm not dismissing any of that. I want to be clear because those things are real issues and sometimes they're because of things that, are out of our control. Um, but that aside, and, and I want to give credence to that, but that aside, um, I believe God is, is telling us here, I want you to remove the thorn of anxiety. And the first step to doing that might be that you need to remove the pride uh, in your heart. Um, Proverbs talks about this in Proverbs twelve twenty five. It says, anxiety in the heart of man causes depression, but a good word uh, makes it glad. Paul wrote about this issue in Philippians 4, uh, verses uh, 6 and 7, where he tells us, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. If we're going to talk to God about our issues, we have to let go of our pride that keeps us from doing that. We have to admit that, yes, we can't handle it on our own, but we have to go to him with prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, that's key, let your requests be made known to God, and what will happen? all the anxiety will go away, all the problems you're worried about will disappear. That's not what it says. That's not what it says. It says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That tells me if I need to be guarded, the problems around me aren't going away. I'm just guarded by God's peace. I'm encapsulated in his peace. So I can continue to move through life despite all the stressors around me because I'm not overwhelmed by anxiety because I have God's peace guarding me. And so uh, notice, and that's through 
Christ Jesus. So the thorn of anxiety, is that a thorn you're dealing with? Maybe there's a pride issue. I'm not saying it's not that. I'm just not saying it is. I'm asking us to just look at Scripture and, and ask ourselves that question. What kind of a heart, what kind of soil uh, do I have uh, in my heart? Uh, let's go to the next thorn, which is the thorn of deceitful riches. Um, that word there literally means deception or delusion. Deception or delusion about riches. And he explains that in verse 19. He says, talking about the ones sown among the thorns in verse 18. These are the ones who hear the word and the cares of this word, the anxieties. We just talked about that. Secondly, the deceitfulness of riches, the deceitfulness of riches. Uh, This thorn is extremely painful because we believe that wealth will do things that it was never meant to do. That's the issue. For many, money is the ultimate problem solver. And I think we've all thought this way at one point. If we just had a little bit more money, then we could resolve this issue. I could deal with this debt better. I could deal with these uh, needs for my family better. Just a little bit more money and the church budget will be in a different place or my personal budget will be uh, in a better place. And that is true in a sense, right? Because money is, is still real. We have to deal with it. But it's what we believe about it. Notice it's not the riches themselves that are the thorn. It is the deceitfulness of, of riches. Um, it's not wrong to have wealth. God blesses many people with great wealth. And that's wonderful. And it's not to be avoided. Um, but money itself is not the thorn. It is what one believes about their wealth. That is the issue. That is the problem. Um, Proverbs 11.4, Proverbs has tons of stuff about how to handle wealth. So much wisdom in Proverbs about dealing, handling our money. But in Proverbs 11.4, it says, Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. And of course, in the New Testament context, whose righteousness delivers us from death? Christ's righteousness, right? Um, and so as we think about this, this verse for a moment, um, riches profit in the day of grocery shopping, Riches profit in the day of uh, paying my electric bill. Riches profit in putting food on my table and clothes on myself, but they don't profit uh, when I have to stand before the Lord and give an account for my life. Um, another verse out of Proverbs twenty-seven, twenty-four: for riches are not forever, nor does a crown endure to all generations. So uh, riches, money seems to have wings, doesn't it? I mean, it's here, and then it's gone. And it's like, you think you're good, and then you start paying bills, and that number just decreases over time. Um, if you've ever had to help kids learn how to manage money, you know you've seen this firsthand, right? It's like they're saving up for something, but then they go to the store or something, and they're like, Dad, I really want this thing. Yeah, that's a cheap piece of plastic. It's going to be broken tomorrow if you're lucky to even last that long. Yeah, but I really want it. I really have to have it. And, and kids just get fixated on things and, and they don't think about tomorrow. They don't think about saving. They don't think about um, managing their, their money in, an, in a uh, responsible way. And so um, even as adults, sometimes we struggle uh, to learn those lessons. Riches are not forever. You know, it's, 
it's easy to identify issues that come from not having money, right? That, that's easy to see. Oh, I, I, I need enough, you know, living paycheck to paycheck. I need enough for food. I, if I don't have money, I can't drive anywhere. If I don't have money, I can't do these things. It's easy to see the problems associated with financial hardship. But what about the difficulties that come with financial gain? You know, there's challenges for, for those that are wealthy as well. Um, when the glass is empty, we can walk around with that thing at our side like this. Nothing's going to fall out of it or spill out of it because there's nothing in there to spill out. But when the glass becomes full and we see it just at the top, the lip of the glass, we have a new challenge. The challenge, if you've ever you know, filled your coffee cup too full down there and you're trying to carry it, what's the challenge? Not to make a mess, not to spill it. Um, I, I think of, um, and I wasn't even going to go here, but I, it just popped into my mind that the life of Joseph in the Old Testament, remember, um, he had both extremes, right? He had to live a life of the empty cup um, there it falsely imprisoned, falsely accused. Actually, before that, sold into slavery by his brothers. Then he comes and the cup gets filled up and it's like God just dumps it back out and he's back in prison down at the bottom level again. And then he has to rise, then he, God gives him the ability to rise to power again. The cup fills back up. And I, what I love about Joseph's story is he shows himself responsible no matter how full or empty his cup was. He continues to walk uh, with God. And so um, he's calling us to wisdom here with these riches and not to be deceived by them, not to be deceived. And, and whether it's someone that is low on money or has plenty, there are deceit. There is deceit in both camps that we need to be watching out for. Um, Paul warned his protege, Timothy, about this in 1 Timothy 6, 9 and 10. He said, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare. It's not wrong to invest money and to want to build wealth and retirement and, and investments and things. But he's saying here, those that that's their only focus. That is their only goal in life. All they can think about is their money. And into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So this is the individual that is, I'm gonna make money at all costs. I'm gonna abandon God's word. I'm gonna abandon biblical literacy. I'm gonna abandon um, God's people. I'm going to abandon giving um, at, at my church. I'm just going to have this driving lust for wealth, and it's a snare. It's a trap. And I, I just the language here is just kind of interesting. I don't think it's a direct connection, but we're talking about these thorns, and I'm picturing these long thorns that grow on some of the bushes um, here and, I believe, in Israel. And you think about this language of piercing themselves through with many sorrows. Um, and so uh, this is interesting. And, and as we make these connections and try to understand that grasping for riches and nothing else will just pierce us. It, it causes damage. It causes a trap, a snare. He's talking also about the love of money. Who alone deserves our love? Yeah, Jesus Christ, God the Father, um, God himself. Uh, in, in Mark 12, verse 30, which we will get to, eventually in this study, 
is the commandment, the greatest commandment. You shall love, you shall agape the Lord your God with all your heart, not your wealth, and with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first um, commandment. D.L. Moody said this about riches. They're like a mirage in the desert, which has all the appearance of satisfying and lures on the traveler with the promise of water and shade, but he only wastes his strength in the effort to reach it. So riches never satisfy. The pursuit of them always turns out to a snare. And I really think this is the crux of what Jesus was uh, saying in his parable about this thorn, the deceitfulness of riches. We believe some, for some reason, this is gonna satisfy me. This is all I need. I just need a little bit more and I will be satisfied, but it always leaves us thirsting uh, for more. So the deceitfulness of Riches. So we've seen the thorn of anxiety, the thorn of deceitful riches, and number three, the thorns of desire. And these are plural. These really, he broadens it out. He's been really specific. The thorn of anxiety, that is soup, that is just, I mean, it is what it is. It's very specific. The thorn of deceitfulness of riches, very specific teaching. Now he just broadens it out and says the thorns of desire, that word in this context. Uh, can mean irregular, violent, or impure, lustful uh, desires. And notice there at the end of verse 19, he, he brings that out. We have the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things entering in, choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Now, sometimes this word in the Bible is used in a positive sense. Jesus used this word when he was talking to the disciples right before they go up into the upper room or while they're in the upper room possibly. Um, he said this, I desire to eat this Passover with you, Luke twenty two fifteen. 15. Same word. Was that a lustful thing on Jesus' part? Of course not. Uh, he was sinless. Paul used this word in a positive way. He, when he wrote to the Philippians that he, he said, I, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. So again, not a negative thing. Um, and so, but as we look through scripture, we, and we wanna look at context, the most important part of understanding any passage of scripture is the context. We, we have to get that. And we're seeing this word used in the context of these thorns and negative things. So we have to understand, yes, this is indeed talking about a sinful desire or at least a misplaced priority. And so again, we're asking ourselves, what is keeping me from God? What is the thing? What is the desire? Maybe it's not anxiety. Maybe it's not the desire, the deceitfulness for riches. So what is it then? That's the question. What is it? What's keeping, what desire is choking out the life of my relationship? What in my life is keeping me from bearing fruit? And that's the whole goal of this plant, which Lord willing, get to next week, is that good soil um, Luke calls these thorns the pleasures of life in Luke uh, eight fourteen. Remember, and I mentioned it earlier, how Jesus begins and ends this parable. What was the command at the very beginning? Listen. And at the end, what was the, how did he end it? He who has ears to what? Hear, let him hear. So as we think about this, if a person has desires for other things, they're not going to listen. A person who has desires for other things um, is not going to hear. They don't have ears to hear. Okay, they're distracted by whatever it is that's keeping them from the Lord. 
um, as we go back to our passage here, notice the effect of these thorns, how they choke the word. They choke it. It's a slow process. Um, It happens over time. But if we allow whatever desire is in there, and that's between you and the Lord this morning. If you say, well, I'm not an anxious person. Um, I don't have the deceitfulness of riches. Um, I'm not buying into that lie. Whatever it is, if, if it's not dealt with, if the weed, if the thorn is not uprooted and taken out of our hearts, it will slowly begin to throttle us. It will cause severe hardship. It will oppress us. It will overwhelm us. A plant that is being choked cannot produce fruit that it was intended to produce. Um, A couple weeks ago, I got to go up to Camp Trail Ridge, as I mentioned last Sunday night, and just volunteer there for a week at the camp. It was a great week. I enjoyed it. I got to be on the grounds and maintenance crew, which I also mentioned, um, with with another Josh, actually. Um, And uh, we were working together all week doing different things, and... um, at one point, we went out into a wooded area where they had a trail that, our pathway, it was actually more of a trail, it was pretty wide so that vehicles could get down it, and a tree that was rotted out had fallen. It wasn't a big tree, it was like this big diameter, so we were taking chainsaws and cutting that up and moving it off the road, and um, before we left, he said, hey, I noticed several trees around where we were have grapevines growing up on them, so I just want you to take your chainsaw over there and just cut them towards the bottom, cut off the life. And he said, because in like another two to three years, those grapevines will completely choke that tree and, and completely kill it, basically. And he's trying to keep his trees nice in, in, in the woods that, um, and being a good steward of the ground that God has given them for this camp. He's like, hey, go, go, cut, um, go cut those grapevines. And of course, I thought of right away the, um, as I'm taking my chainsaw and cutting that, he said, you don't have to pull them down, just cut them. And I'm thinking of uh, Jesus, you know, talking to the disciples, you know, I'm the vine, you're the branches. I'm like, oh, this is a great illustration. But in a, in a negative sense, it also illustrates what Jesus is talking about here. Uh, those weren't good vines for that tree. They were eventually going to choke the life out of it And that's what Jesus is warning us about here. Notice that the plant becomes unfruitful. Maybe it was fruitful at one point. Maybe even, maybe it wasn't fruitful, but starting to bud, show signs of life, show signs that it was about to uh, have fruit on it. As this time goes by and as uh, these thorns close in on this plant, um, it no longer has that ability. Uh, the thorns have taken over and the plant is fruitless. So as we close this morning, just be thinking about, and just, I've been asking myself this, I want to challenge us. Ask yourself this question. Um, what kind of heart or mind do I have? How do I respond to the seed? We, we started with those two questions, but I added this one as we close this morning. What fruit am I producing? What fruit am I producing in my life? Can I see the fruit of the Holy Spirit, for example, growing in my life? If we're not seeing the fruit, then we need to um, consider what's choking, me, what's choking me out right now. What's causing me to not grow 
in, in my relationship with the Lord? What's causing me to, to not grow uh, the way that God intended me to? So that is the, the thorns. Yes, Mike. Okay, so Mike's question was a very good one. Are we the ones producing the fruit or is it the walking with the Holy Spirit that produces this fruit? Excellent question. No, we don't produce the fruit. That's why it's called the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of Josh or the fruit of yourself. And so no, we're not producing the fruit. That's God's responsibility. He just wants to do it in and through us, into the lives of the people around us. That's how it is lived out. The, our problem, our responsibility isn't producing the fruit. And Jesus, going back to that passage out of John where he says, abide in me and I will abide in you. You can't, and I'll paraphrase, you cannot produce fruit without me. That's what he's saying. So that kind of also answers the same question. Can we produce the fruit? No, it's through the spirit, through the spirit of Christ, through the Holy Spirit living in us. That's how the fruit is produced. Our job is to remove the thorns, to look in our life and say, what, what do I need to stop doing? What do I need to stop listening to? What do I need to stop um, participating in that's causing that fruit to be choked out? So thank you for that question. Let's close in prayer and uh, we'll be dismissed. Father, um, Lord, I thank you so much for Jesus' clear teaching here. I thank you that he gave us this great explanation of this parable to help us understand exactly um, the conditions of our hearts. Lord, James tells us the word of God is a mirror that we need to look into and remember as we walk away from it who we really are. Lord, it, it cuts deep into our soul like that two-edged sword. And I pray, Lord, that as your word plunges into our hearts, that it would reveal who we really are, that we would then take that information and not ignore it, but help us, Lord, to be diligent to remove and uproot the thorns that have been closing in. I pray for those that are struggling with a thorn of anxiety this morning. Lord, that they uh, might examine themselves to see if pride, it might be keeping them uh, from casting their care upon you. Be with those, Lord, that have been enamored with wealth. And I pray, Lord, that they would have a biblical view and understand that it will never really satisfy the way that you do. And for all the other things, Lord, the, the desires for other things, Lord, that might be plaguing us this morning, help us to just uh, identify those. Help us to be willing to uh, remove them. And uh, Lord, we'll just give you all the praise and glory. As was stated, you produce the fruit in us. And we, we're so, so thankful. Lord, we can never do that on our own. And we're so thankful that you do that for us. And so we pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.